Welcome, one and all, throughout time and space for this episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will cover the anime news for the second week of February 2022. We would also give our thoughts on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2011-2012 anime franchise, Symphogear. My name is San Martinez. I'm a part-time weave, full-time automail mechanic, and with me as always is my co-host Jay Johnson, part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now, Jay, I know that a lot has happened this last week. We had the newest Pokemon game, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, dropped. We have the Lunar New Year coming up. The Winter Olympics started yesterday. We had Sony's acquisition of Bungie as a uh, response to Microsoft's uh, uh, newest acquirement. Uh, But the one thing that happened this week that I sort of want to talk to you about, really, is the uh, dropping or the releasing of the animated series Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. Have you heard of it? Oh, wow. Oh, that caught me off by surprise. But yeah, I think we had a news story about this last year, but... Yeah, can you refresh my memory about what it is? Yes, so essentially Vox Machina is a animated rendition or retelling of a Critical Role uh, streaming series where Critical Role is essentially these different voice actors. They get together and agree to do a campaign in Dungeons & Dragons. And essentially Vox Machina is just an animation of one of their exploits. Uh, essentially, one of the group or the guild that this group, Critical Role, had campaigned as, which is known as Vox Machina. And the reason why I make it, uh, the reason why I brought it up in our podcast regarding anime is because when you watch this, this has all of the anime vibes in regards to the art style with the. Uh, fluidity of the animation and i would say that with some of the jokes well some of the jokes is very very western but when you look at it it has that anime feel so if anything it feels like the uh remastered or the rebooted uh thundercats as well as uh the ultron series on netflix and the reason why I want to pick your brain, Jay, because I was just thinking about it. I was talking to some acquaintances regarding Vox Machina because they're basically just playing Dungeons and Dragons. And with you being in Mongolia and having the weebish, geeky people that you have in your class, I was interested in if there is a Western version of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that they have over there in the West. I don't know, maybe something like Trials and Tigers or something along those lines? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so my knowledge of Critical Role kind of just extends to Matt Mercer as the DM of the series because, man, does that guy just bleed charisma. And I've seen him talk a bunch of times about how to run campaigns and how the proper etiquettes and mannerisms that you should have as a entertaining DM. Even though I don't actually play Dungeons and Dragons at all, or any interest to play it, I always like to hear like um, Brandon Lee Mulligan is another DM that I follow up uh, follow up with uh, like very intimately because they're very uh, well spoken orators as well. But in Mongolia, we don't really have too much of a role playing game that would be akin to Dungeons and Dragons or even something like with the Cyberpunk series. Um, yeah, Cyberpunk with Michael Pond Smith as like the original creator of that series. But there are like campaigns I know that are being run in Mongolia and they do take a lot of inspiration from Mongolian history with Chinggis Khan and the whole um, Mongolian Empire and kind of work it into the background of certain campaigns and characters and lore building. So like the Mongolian Deathworm is kind of like the creature that bleeds over into other cultures you see that in dune a little bit with the sandworms on whatever planet that is Arrakis. oh okay yeah yeah, Arrakis. yeah yeah but yeah other than that um not too much of dedicated mongolian games a lot of mongolian games are still traditional i guess in the terms of what 
people still play nowadays since it's among uh, nomadic cultures. It's a, a very strong connection to the past. Nothing new in innovations, essentially, in how games are run. But yeah, there are enough like mythology and lore that can be adapted into modern games that I've seen enough people play in Mongolia to say, oh, this is the Mongolian version of Dungeons and Dragons, essentially. Okay. No, like, like I said, it would be very interesting because I had uh, spoken to a mutual acquaintance of ours like earlier in the week. And, you know, it, it's, it's just very interesting how people would take references from different cultures, but I, I guess like sometimes they would be portrayed uh, properly. Other times it's not. And ju- just talking about Dungeons and Dragons with uh, my, uh, acquaintances it you know just got me thinking because you know western uh cultures have a lot of different lores and different mythos things like that and it, it was just it, it, I, I just found it kind of interesting that there wasn't anything like as big or as well known like uh dungeons and dragons or world of warcraft that everybody knows about and that everybody plays and I feel as though, like, there should be something equivalent there, too. But I think, like, as you said, maybe it's just, like, more locally. And, you know, just uh, the people in the area or in the culture, you know, throw in, like you said, uh, the death worm. Right. Yeah. You know, or, you know th- things uh, from their own uh, history to sort of make the games more interesting for themselves. Right. Because, like, even if yeah. you're playing, like, the uh, the class of a bard, you could uh, in culture um, incorporate mongolian throat singing or kazakh throat singing or if you're a cleric mm-hmm. you're actually a shaman because again like a lot of mongolian history is in this space mm-hmm. of accepting all religions and cultures and all kinds of people together and then that kind of can add into a very interesting world to layer on top of dnd's like framework essentially so you can oh, adapt it in different you, ways you, you you just made me think about it right when you said that the bard you, you can incorporate throat singing I'm just thinking, like you, you. I, I just have this image of this bard that has this black bolt like level of power in regards to sound, <laughs> or uh, like I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, that kid's name in Jujutsu Kaisen that has uh, that speaking curse where he has to be very specific about his words, otherwise uh, people will be affected by it. I, I would say like that. That would be just like a very interesting character to do and to uh play as but oh uh other than that like i said uh vox machina was uh a i guess uh, like i said because of the anime-esque uh influences i would consider it an anime that i was watching recently uh what what about you uh what uh animes have you been watching uh recently that uh you've been enjoying Uh, because i know we had talked a little bit about some of our anticipated anime as well uh, in the past. Yeah, it's weird when it comes to the winter anime season because you're always trying to even catch up from the previous years because, again, seasonal anime is so brutal when it comes to watch schedule. So, uh, of course, I've been keeping up with the Tag One Titan on a weekly basis, and bruh, that is like some major emotional damage um, hitting <laughs> all the in anime watchers and i've kind of remained on the side of non-spoilers but how well the series is written like you can see something that will mean something in the end it's like great foreshadowing and you're like oh that just spoiled something but i don't know how it was spoiled so it's like very entertaining in that way catching up on ranking of kings i dropped off orient after episode one because it's just the bog standard shonen adventure story of two bros going on a adventure road trip to slay demons and i was like okay i'm fine with that other than that um i'll talk a little bit about my darling uh my dress up darling uh which didn't even make my list but just came out of nowhere to surprise me and i've been deep inside that i've actually reconnected with the realist hero tries to rebuild the kingdom (laughs) which i dropped like two seasons ago but there was a development in the latest episode that was like, oh, I need to catch up and see why this happens. So it's always like surprising when you uh, come across anime that you kind of dropped off before, but something happens that warrants you to revisit again. But other than that, it's been a really decent season uh, with some returning favorites, some new things, 
the Rust Eater, um, the Rust Eater Bisco. Yeah, yeah, Subbiggly Bisco mm-hmm. is terribly enjoyable, and with episode <laughs> terribly, five, why yeah. is it terribly enjoyable? <laughs> uh, did you see the kissing scene? Oh yeah, yeah, I, 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 I saw that scene. I saw the scene. That was, I think, episode three or four. It, it wasn't yeah, it was really four. considered kissing because, like, at the time. It was like, oh, he's going to do the Heimlich. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's not the Heimlich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's like terribly enjoyable because like you're like, oh, my gosh, that was so cool. But I'm so grossed out at it as well. <laughs> and it was teased in the TV in the trailer. But I was like yeah. how it came up. It was like just very shocking. So really good anime catching up from last year as well as keeping up with this season's. But um, now I have to add um, Vox Machina to the list since you <laughs> recommended that as well, which is surprising because it feels like it dropped very much like how Arcane dropped, kind of with no uh, prompt and circumstance. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would say it, it was weird because on Crunchyroll, uh, that was where I saw some of the uh, commercials for it. And a uh, previous guest, Gerard, he had sent me some commercials for it as well. Uh, before it came out and it's funny that you mentioned arcane because the way they release vox machina it's very similar to arcane where uh when they do drop new episodes it's three at a time so right now there's six episodes available and the next time that they are supposed to drop i think it's either this week or next week it's supposed to be three more episodes and i think that's supposed to be the conclusion uh, for this uh, arc of uh, Vox Machina that they're doing. Oh, cool. Yeah, the, the Vox means, you know, voice machine. So I'm actually, that's a very interesting title by itself because it, it basically inquire, it makes you want to inquire about what the voice machine is. So I think based off the title by itself, I'm interested as well. But yeah, that's it. You want to move on to do some news now? Yes, let's go on to some news. So as I said, a little bit of craziness has been happening this week. I had mentioned a little bit about video games earlier, and we've had mentioned uh, arcades uh, in the past a little bit, and we can't, at least like the relationship with anime and with video games, they are very, very strong. And Earlier this week, it was uh, released that uh, Sega's arcade in da, 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 it's uh, in in Tokyo. I, I think it's uh, yeah in uh, Tokyo uh, Genda. It will be sold or it will be under new management. It turns out that in the fall of 2020, Sega had sold approximately 85 percent of the arcade already. And it seems like it's just now selling the rest of it to a, another establishment. And they will be removing the Sega name from the building. And it now will be called Gingo or Gigo, G-I-G-O, which is a name that uh, Sega had previously used at another arcade location, at its uh, arcade location in Ikebukuro. And... It's just very interesting because this arcade has a long history in the location in, in the location in Genda. It's been there for about 56 years. And I wanted to get your opinion on this, Jay, because you seem to be more versed in the arcade uh, subculture. Uh, as, as I said earlier, with things, with the entertainment industry known as video games moving and shifting around a lot what are your thoughts on this yeah it's really interesting oh sorry my bad uh time yeah. codes in the description below and yes the, the yes yes time codes oh yeah. my goodness yeah always in the bottom my bad. yeah yeah <laughs> like for our normal episodes we just have these two sections so news and then review but yeah off of what you just said sam i'm very interested in the story because of it kind of is a indicator of something I don't think most people are really giving enough thought about is that what has what is really the future fallout of COVID and all the restrictions going on and the arcade industry is probably one of those industries that is going to get killed off essentially if things continue the way that they are especially in Japan given that they are still having wily 
diverse numbers and COVIDs with uh, Omicron and maybe potential future variants, as well as shutting out foreigners. Their tourist industry has bombed their, uh, not import, but their acceptance of foreign exchange students as well have basically dropped to zero. A lot of students are on this waiting list for visas for 2023 and 2024 already. So that list has been piling up. And it seems that Sega has kind of taken this chance opportunity to say, oh, we're just going to wipe our hands clean of the arcade industry or arcade sector of their business, which has been, they have been dominating in. So they're not getting out of the arcade business. They're still going to be making video games from crane machines to uh, online. Um, I forgot what those specific name gotcha machines are that you can do online from even across the world. You can get it sent to you, which is really cool. But yeah, Ginga, actually, it's actually Ginga Incorporated is where the subsidiary that's taking over all these uh, arcades and uh, getting their name from. So the locations that are going to be probably shut down first are the ones in Tokyo, which are Ikebukuro, Shinjuku, and Akihabara, and then probably spread out to the rest of uh, Japan uh, probably after this year. But it's not too much of a terrible news story here, but it is like one of those upsetting things that a conglomerate or this big, massive, historic game company is going to be dropping their name. But there's still going to be Sega games inside. It's just going to be under new branding, essentially. So, yeah, like, I I guess, like, they'll still have, they'll still be making money from the patrons, the patrons, but they're not necessarily going to be owning the brick and mortar that the patrons will be going into. And uh, segueing to my other bit of news, uh, blending the world of anime and video games a little bit more, it was reported that uh, the producer, uh, Yosuke Shiokawa, has left uh, Delightworks to form his own studio known as Fahrenheit 213, which, uh, and the reason why this is fairly big is because Delightworks is known for making or producing the anime as well as the video game series uh, Fate Grand Order. And we don't really know too much of what's, Fahrenheit uh, 213 will be making. They just mainly state that it's going to be working on the development of new intellectual property. But it's, again, like it just seems like the terrain of video games is going to be changing. And it seems as though that it's going to be affecting anime as well because, again, this work has worked on Fate Grand Order. It's worked with uh, Square Enix games, such as Kingdom Hearts and uh, Dissidia uh, Final Fantasy. Uh, So it's, again, just very interesting seeing how people are moving from one uh, thing to another. Do you think that we may be getting uh, more franchises similar to uh, the Fate Stay franchise or do you think that they're going to be doing something completely different jay mixed media has become a lot more frequent in the past uh decade five years but it's not surprising that this happened because the story is more of that there was an acquisition that broke Mm -hmm. up the company essentially so when you mentioned that they're going to be working on new developments that's kind of quote-unquote meaning oh, we fired everyone, and it kind of just exists as a hollow shell of what it used to be, which is really we, interesting. We, we kind of cleaned house. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, like one of those things of probably, again, an effect of COVID and people wanting to do more telework and realizing that some job positions aren't really necessary anymore. So, like you said, everything about this does speak to like a more modern trend because we talked about tech OP was a mixed media project to promote a mobile game. Same thing as with the company that you just mentioned, Ted did the Fate Stay Order and also all the smart games uh, that came out, smartphone games that came out relative to it. So this is just a big move in that section because Cloverworks, again, is the anime portion of the um, partnership that you just mentioned. And they are basically a competitor with Yefotable. Because I actually didn't know until Gerard came on and talked about 
uh, the whole Fate Stay series or the Fate series in total about that the Fate Grand Order was not actually done by Ufotable, that it was done by Cloverworks. And Cloverworks has been like on the rise with a lot of their high profile anime mm-hmm. recently. So um, it's really interesting in that game developments from like Dragon Age, not Dragon Age, but Dragon Quest is kind of the proto example of a video game that became a manga that became a uh, video game. Same thing with like Dragon Ball. There were like multiple Dragon Ball games, but yeah, video games and anime are going to be linked, but how well they're going to be linked, it's probably going to be a lot more closer in the near future. Onwards to the next bit of news I have. It's more along the anime and uh, manga relationships. So we had gotten word that the uh, anime series Mushoku Tensei had uh, reached, oh yeah, has exceeded in selling, uh, or has exceeded in having 10 million copies in circulation. And it's not necessarily a sales statistic, but it's just showing uh, just, I, I guess, like, um, how much uh how many copies they have like out there like available and being so you know things like that but you know just showing just like how uh popular it has become and uh also in this news article it uh had mentioned that the second half of the season two has been delayed uh, it was originally supposed to come out in 2022, uh, July of 2022. However, it has been pushed back to October due to, quote-unquote, various circumstances. So, just, uh, like like I said, it, it's we, we've been talking about uh, th- this uh, franchise for a little bit. It's, it was high on our list, especially for the... Uh, top 10 uh, anime as well and it, it was it, it's a monumental moment for this franchise and I figured that it uh, definitely needed to be uh, shined upon uh, for that uh, what do you, do you have any uh, thoughts on uh, Mashoku Tensei uh, receive or exceeding 10 million copies in circulation Jay just that 10 million copies is always that marker that publishers kind of set as the bar because Given that, you know, you get a anime adaptation, then you get the following wave of, oh my gosh, I did not know this thing existed. And then, oh my gosh, there's actually source material following it. And like you said, it's not a sales statistic. It is just the demand that publishers don't want to ever reach a point saying that our, that demand is overseeding supply, essentially. We recount it, we recount it on this, like with Juju Kaisen, same thing with Tokyo Revengers when they hit their 10 million. Uh, circulation mark that it always happens and this is just a case of studio buying again you talked a little bit about how it's going to be delayed in the future and with season one ending with one of those nice cards of thank you for watching and dude walking off into the sunset it does feel like they don't actually know when the second season's going to occur like for good reason so it's very interesting that you know how much success is garnered that they ended the series that or they ended the season one with that way so hopefully them reaching the 10 million dollar threshold and probably going to push over into that with actual sales this year it would warrant a rush or more budget for season two and i'm I'm sorry i uh misspoke it, it was uh the second core part of season one yeah yeah the second part of season one that was uh pushed off it, it was supposed to be in july 2021 but it got pushed off to october and uh there was also a mention here about uh spinoff uh series known as, uh, known as the show. yep roxy gets serious so who knows depending on how uh popular this gets we may be able to see a animated version of roxy and her own uh adventures which would be very interesting and yeah because like it does feel like with the spin-off series it does feel like something suited for a an episode um of season two not to 
again, to divert attention away from the main series. Because, again, they did a Roxy-centric episode in the first season. So it feels like if they were going to do a spinoff, Studio Bind should stay focused on one property at a time and not dilute the market, essentially, with, like, multiple clones, like how they did the Sword Art Online. So hopefully hopefully they don't actually do that. Yeah, or, or at least until uh, Jobless in itself is finished, right? That way, like you said, there's only, like, one franchise out there in circulation at a time now on to okay that news has gotten away from me that was by accident so i'm gonna have to uh sorry had to have to cut the news a little short so we'll go with uh this last bit of news that i have here and apparently uh the march issue of shueisha's uh coco hana had revealed on January 28th that the uh, mangaka Kozueko uh, Morimoto will launch a new manga title known as Jano Menome in the magazine's April issues on February 28th. And uh, the reason why this is brought up is because uh, Morimoto's uh, previous works known as uh, Gokusen and Kodoke no Hitobito have uh, are uh, mangas of great acclaim where they have inspired live action television series and a live action film. Whereas essentially Gokusen is from the synopsis, it seems very similar to uh, the great teacher, the great teacher Onizuka, except where you follow a male teacher who was a delinquent in the past, having to deal with a delinquent class. In Gokusen, we are following a female math teacher who goes to an all-boys high school and has to deal with the male uh, delinquent class in her high school. And Apparently, again, as I said, it's done well enough to where it garnered a live-action television series as well as a movie. And this new uh, franchise that the mangaka is making, again, uh, Janome no Meme, is going to be focused on a female uh, protagonist who has a special eyes that can help her exercise spirits. And Jay, I uh, know this. This seems like it's a little bit of a random or out of pocket uh, article, but I sort of wanted to get your opinion on that. Getting that that we're getting another uh, slice of life uh, anime, but from at least from the PV or like not 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 necessarily PV, but the pr- uh, promotional image. It seems like we're going to be focusing on an older uh, female protagonist. Uh, I, I guess like I sort of wanted to get your opinion on that, uh, that we're getting more slice of life stuff. Do you think that uh, this will turn into an anime or become another uh, live action uh, franchise? Yeah, this is something I'm very, un, you know, not out of pocket. That's yeah that's like that's your word for it i don't ever say out of pocket but <laughs> sorry it was just weird thinking about um goku um sen because like you were right on about paralleling it to the great teacher onizuka because the goku sen has always been this space of like the yankee story but from a different perspective a yankee meaning delinquent but it's like how many sides of that can you tell and it's always again, revisiting a genre from a different perspective. Same thing with Tokyo Revengers. It's the Yankee story, but with time travel, spoiler alerts. But, and it's weird that she has the prestige of the Goku Sen because the anime adaptation of it came back and came out in 2004. And, you know, it it definitely feels like it's a 2004 anime, but it was done by Studio Madhouse. So she does have the acclaim of getting her published works into anime form by one of the greatest anime companies of all time. Mm -hmm. So I'm very not surprised that she's coming out with another series kind of in the same vein of following the demographic of the older um, female or the older female demographic because of the Coco Hana 
demographic is for women's or Kokohana is a women's um, manga magazine. Same thing as with okay. how Shonen Jump is a younger boys magazine. So, you know, it's operating in the same space that we're not familiar with, but it has the popularity that would carry it into the mainstream. It's just something that's not in our view. So not surprised. And we'll probably follow this up because it does seem to be at least a she follows the same example of slice of life and comedy and with a little touch of drama, then probably something that we have to check out a little bit later on. Oh yeah, definitely. It would be uh, a, a definite uh, breath of fresh air. I mean, we do our best in order to expand our uh, intake of anime, especially on this podcast that that was the purpose of it. But I know like, it seems like to be a trend where it's like, uh, we either find uh, animes that are like tragic or uh, violent or hyper action to be very good. But it seems like we're starting to expand our horizons with the uh, slice of life and the comedies that are done very, very well. So it'll be very interesting to see where this uh, work goes. And I may uh, look into Gokusen. Uh, to see uh, if uh, her her work is as good as uh, everybody else uh, says it is. But that's all that I have for the news today, Jay. We're ready to go on to the anime. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a question. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, that, that was a bit of a foible. So, essentially, we're time codes, description box. Now we're going to be going on today to today's anime, which is known as Symphogear. And Jay, this is I, I've heard of Symphogear a little bit, but I'm not very familiar with it. This is my first time watching this work. Is this your first time watching it, or are uh, have you have you seen this uh, work before? Yeah, this is again my pick, and again I've talked about how I didn't know we were just going to go with my pick, my pick, my pick, my pick <laughs> for the last couple of five weeks, probably. Um, but yeah, this is another series that I have no exposure to beforehand, and it's something that surprisingly operates in the same vein as High School DXD. Do you pronounce the X in DX? I think I you you would you you would do the same thing with Hunter Hunter, where sometimes like you can say the D, or it could be like cr Hunter cross Hunter, so it might be D cross D or double D. I don't oh, know. double D! That makes more sense given how I would, it's I would say double D. I, I yeah, just came I up with that. <laughs> no, no, but it makes sense for how the show is kind of obsessed with um, breasts. Oh, pie. but yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So this is a series that is actually pretty confusing. So. Just to run a little bit of the backstory of Simpho Gear, because this is a 2012 sci-fi magical girl anime, which is done by Studio Satellite, which is part of our studio profile that we're doing for this year. So we're doing our voice actor profile, as well as a couple of studio spotlights on studios and see what they actually released in 2012 and compare them to the works of each other as well inside the studio of themselves so for studio satellite we're doing simple gear akb infinite infinite 48 who that's an awful and much love alternative and that also has a second i think total eclipse is like the full title okay yeah much oh, love wow. alternative total that eclipse <laughs> sounds like a strong light novel <laughs> yeah exactly so uh, Studio Satellite produced this, or they animated 12 episodes, 13 episodes in total, but mm -hmm. there are five total seasons, and this is why it gets a little confusing, because the first season is called Simpho Gear, season two is called Simpho mm -hmm. Gear G, season three is called Simpho Gear GX, uh, <sighs> then it followed up by uh, AXZ, then XV. <laughs> So They're trying all to use the, all the letters, man. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd because it's a original anime, which is such a weird naming system. So it does happen. So again, talking about mm -hmm. the comparison to High School Double D is because it's the same vein that has been kind of running in the background because there's five seasons and I've never heard of this anime till today. And the last fifth season came out in 2019. So 
has actually been running for almost 10 years. Uh, like, like one more thing about the uh, studio uh, before you go on, Jay. I just want to uh, let the audience know, uh, so at least like some of the other works that Satellite has done that may be a little bit more familiar. I had looked into it. Like they also did Fairy Tale, Log Horizon, Helsing Ultimate, and even one of the newer animes, uh, Sakugan, as well. Yeah, so Satellite mm -hmm. is more of a co-production company. So they actually only have a few original properties. So oh, uh, okay. Sakugan so, is yeah. actually the one I wanted to talk to you about since okay. you mentioned it last year as on your, uh, you were going to plan to watch it and then mm -hmm. didn't bring it up for the honorable mentions or even in your top 10. Did you get to watch any of it last year? I did. And it's, it's a good romp. There are some things that I had issues with. I really like the dynamic of the father and daughter but it's sort of everything else uh that they have going on uh because essentially they will we'll, we'll brief thing about the story they find a gem that leads a map for them to go somewhere like they all live underground and she has she being the little girl uh wants to go out and find the thing on the map and the dad's like uh is reluctant to let her go and so he goes with her and it's pretty fun seeing them going on the adventure but it's more or less the uh creatures and their quote-unquote powers or abilities that uh that they run into it's sort of puts a bad taste in my mouth i have to go back and continue watching it as i said it's a good fun romp but it's not like uh, it wasn't top tier to make the top 10 list it's good for casual viewing but unless you're a specific person i wouldn't necessarily uh recommend it gotcha okay that's fair mm -hmm. so yeah so they are responsible for that solely and then the other ones most recently that they're responsible for, or were responsible for was Somali and the Forest Spirit, as well as mm -hmm. Cannon Busters, uh, which, you know, they had did Cannon reception. Buster? Yeah. No, yeah. they didn't. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, mixed oh, uh, reception yeah. on Cannon Busters, but um, of the other studio productions that they are responsible for are the ones that we're talking about for this year. So, it's a very interesting case with Studio Satellite, which is why we're giving them a spotlight. So, for this first season, had 13 episodes, all available on Crunchyroll, as well as the other seasons, of course. But the story centers on... Whew, where do we start with this? But let's go with... Uh, the story centers on Hibiki, who is our main seat, mm -hmm. or our main character, and the other wielders of Simpho Gear, which is basically armor powered by music, and their fight against the noise, an alien race set on destruction. Very simple you know, premise, but it can yeah. um, blow out from there. And it's so similar to listeners um, back in 2000 or 2020, as well as Tact OP Destiny, which we talked about a little bit last year in 2021. But Sam, boy, howdy, have I never been on board for anime so hard after episode one. This really? is an okay. this is a series you cannot just read like the Wikipedia article for because you because I had no idea. <laughs> One, it is graphic in the violence that just springs out of nowhere, which mm. basically explains the reason why Tech OP didn't work for me. Because, first of all, in the first episode of Sinful Gear, they give you characters to really feel attached to because um, Habiki gets a hole blown out through her chest, <laughs> essentially. In yeah. a random attack by these noise, noise again the same thing. What were the creatures called in Tech OP? Oh my goodness, um, it, it it was it was something similar. Yeah, yeah, D two, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. The D two, the D two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so these nameless or faceless, mindless swarms of creatures, alien creatures. We don't know where they're coming from. Basically, for the first episode and why I was so enamored by it. Is because you kind of think it might be an idle story, but it begins with a flash back where, like, the Japan has been destroyed, a girl's mm -hmm. visiting a grave site, and you see that Hibiki has died, essentially, yeah. and then it flashes back to basically Hibiki getting her powers where, at a concert, the noise, these creatures, 
attack, people are just obliterated. <laughs> and it's like, I was watching an idol show, and now there's <laughs> now my loved ones are disintegrating next to me, turning black and getting eaten by oddly adorable creatures, <laughs> like worm creatures oh, and yeah, like teddy bears. Right. They do. They do look very chibi. And yeah, very chibi. Fleshy. Yeah, and then you get to a point where there's some kind of armor that they're trying to like research, and like there's some kind of connection with these creatures as well with the music that these idols are mm-hmm. singing. I'm going to be rambling because I'm just so terribly impressed with these first three episodes. And again, first three episode test for any anime is spoiler free that we say we give spoilers for because that's setting up the story but with this first episode again i feel so strongly connected to it because every moment every beat of the first episode to the very end when there's like this akira montage of habiki activating her powers for the first time and all these mechanical parts extend out of her and she's screaming out in pain and her body gets cladded in armor but then her eyes are glowing red like she's going to be the villain of the series. <laughs> and it's just like so back-to-back jarring because the hero that saved Habiki and gave her, transferred her powers to her just evaporates when you see basically her partner like hugging her and she just yeah. turns into ash. It's like mm-hmm. graphical violence with teen pop music and girl moe girls with their character design running for their lives and cute panda dolls chasing after and dissolving people like just everything pops off in the first episode and let me stop rambling but how did you feel for these first three episodes sam um i'm glad uh that that you said your piece because we have uh different opinions i do see this as the progenitor for Tact OP and even Vivi Florite's song because we're essentially seeing music being used in combat and it's just just it, it, it the concept of it is very very interesting and I liked how this is essentially a shonen but for girls and in, in a sense that um you know you still have the high paced action of shonen but you're focusing on girls and they don't necessarily downplay the role of men but like when you do have a male character that's there they're not creepy or uh, very perverse or anything else like that they're actual human people and they're few and far between because you're focusing on a story about girls but I, i do appreciate that and um i would say that i disagree with you a little bit in how the noise was introduced at least in tact op we are given an explanation that uh the d2 when they do come or they do garner whenever the you know people play music very much akin to a quiet place sound draws them in right at least like sounds of a certain frequency whereas in this franchise noise it's it's not really explained when they show up there it's it's simply it seems like they're just thrown there just to show up and i do like the character uh genjuro which is uh the it's essentially the guy who is uh nick fury if nick fury was a buff fire gem leader he's basically like the leader of the simpho gear but I feel like the attack in the first episode is their own problem because they have an artifact and they explain how these girls are able to use these simple gears, which are based off of artifacts, whereas essentially the artifacts resonate with a person when they, they activate it by singing a certain song so that they can imbue themselves with armor, things of that nature. And they were doing research on this artifact in the concert and like we see them like doing sciencey stuff we don't necessarily know what it is but we see them doing sciencey stuff and they essentially put all these people at risk at the concert like they they i'm assuming that that artifact was what had brought in the noise they don't really know 
but I mean, you can't rule that out. And it's just like, okay, you're supposed to be helping these people and like you're making it seem as though you didn't really have a part in that massacre that had happened, right? And I I, I guess like in, in terms of like how they explain things because there are times when the girls would sing a song to activate the armor and they would keep singing as they fought. And it was just very odd that they would keep singing. And at times, like, it would make me disjointed because, like, as they were singing, it didn't match the pace of the fight. But thinking back on it, because, as you said before, the armor is activated by singing and it is powered by singing. So it sort of makes sense in a fight because in, in a fight, you're essentially trying to gain control of the tempo of the fight, how everything moves. So it sort of makes sense that like at first you would like in this sort of thing, like you would try to essentially have your song went out at the end. You would try to make them get on your beat. So I, I sort of like understood that. But again, like uh, there were some things that they could have done to smooth things over a little bit. Like for instance, Hibiki, when she activated her armor, she just started singing for no reason. I mean, she's in chorus, but like she just knew that she needed to sing, I guess, kind of, because her artifact is like the shrapnel in her, like Tony Stark. So I guess like she has some sort of unseen connection that we don't know. As I said, like it's a definitely interesting progenitor and I'll, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox uh I'm, I'm sorry I, I i took up a lot of time but i, I guess like do you, what, what are your thoughts on my observations do you agree do you disagree uh to mention the music because i think that's not a selling point too much but i think it is an interesting component to it again something that i think does speak to why vivi works and like something like this series doesn't is because there's no really strong composition to how the music is going to fit into the fight scenes like you said so like um the uh kanade is the person that dies in the first episode that gives hibiki her powers she's singing she's singing an aria and that is done by oh i wanted to give credit to the composition of the uh the soundtrack because it's done by elements garden which is a japanese um well pro Wow, why can I not say this word? Producer group, producer group, yeah. So it's like a super group of producers, and they're responsible for the soundtrack or the music in uh, the time I was resurrected as a slime, as well oh, as okay. Bodacious, <laughs> this is funny, Bodacious Space Pirates, which is a 2012 anime that we wanted to talk about, but, well, I wanted to talk about because it's such a weird title, but <laughs> can't really find it anywhere on legal streaming, and as well as... 14 other animes that they're responsible for. But I mm. definitely vibe with the negative that the music isn't as incorporated that it could be because there seems to be at least, you know, projecting that there's going to be five or four other seasons that there's going to be different musicality to different people's armors and how they relate. But again, if it's going to be incorporated into fight scenes that you think it should match. But yeah. all the other points I think uh, you brought up do align with like other series that it can be pulled from or you can identify that it has been done over here and why it works here as well because the organization like you said they're researching artifacts but it's kind of in the same vein as secret seven that we talked about a couple episodes not a couple episodes ago but wow a while ago last season <laughs> yeah last season right yeah secret seven as well as even nerve in the um, Evangelion world, we don't actually know if the people we're looking at are the good guys. And again, if you're yeah. waging war against a unknown enemy or alien invading force, where do you draw the line to experimentation with weapons to defeat them? And I kind of just wrote it off for that justification. It's like if they need people cheering or they need this kind of um, group effect of enjoying music for these artifacts to work or to be equipped to certain um, wielders because the 
armor that is in episode one goes missing and then it reappears in episode three as basically the yeah. you know quote-unquote antagonist or potential antagonist to end the three episode review same thing as with the uh the detriment i think that the d2s in tech op present is because if music attracts them don't play music <laughs> it's like yeah and even though that sucks as you know humans and we know we have a connection to music and it's like well if if there's no music in the world the world's not worth living in kind of thing but that's such a dumb kind of sentimentality where in this they are just random natural forces in the world that will just eat people and appear out of no reason so it's kind of like that it's girls going these pilots going against these unknowable unpredictable forces so you know at least Mm -hmm. in these first three episodes that's kind of why i got attached to it but other than that oh man okay i could goss i'm not gossip but i could rant a little bit more about why i like it but yeah i think what you brought up about no 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 i I, I was i was going to say you know uh give us some more uh good points but uh i wanted you to uh finish your thought before you did that Oh, yeah. So I want to go back to what you said about Vivi is about how it incorporates music. So I really chose this because of, you know, the idea about how music has been being used in like more modern anime. You brought up Vivi, which as a perfect example is that she's a singer and that core of her character development or art is tied into the music. Same thing as with Great Pretender using the Freddie Mercury music and music from Queen. Same thing with Carol on Tuesday, given um, those sweet, sweet white tones, those, those snow white tones that came out last year as well. So like the music genre is getting like a lot more attention. And we talked about it a little bit before about how these niche genres are getting like more attention because people like us have been raised in anime and we know what our side hobbies or side interests can be incorporated or animated in a certain way that is entertaining. So I think all that adds into why Symphogear works is that if the foreseeable future for these following seasons are going to work, then they need to incorporate that a little bit more heavily. So again, that's something I can say, like maybe the three episodes don't work for, you know, everybody, but it is like Mm -hmm. a projected investment that as the series goes, especially since it ended in 2019, that they get a better control of musicality in it, especially if they have a group of producers behind it. Almost oh, definitely. I think, I, I feel like, though, because as long-running as it is, it's going to have a similar issue that uh, Dragon Ball or Naruto had, where essentially the story runs away from them because... As we know, there's six seasons, but the beginning of the first episode, there was that uh, scene at uh, Hibiki's quote-unquote funeral gravesite. So, uh, and uh, Hibiki is obviously in the subsequent series, so I'm thinking that they're probably going to retcon it or uh, pull an Araki from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and completely forget that they even wrote that in. I w- want them to also be a little bit more solid because, at least like in the writing, or, or I, I guess like uh, wait to see like how they explain some things. Because like they, they didn't explain uh, some things when I wanted them to. It was like always after the fact. It's like I will, I will, I will watch one episode, I would be mad that they didn't explain something, and then the next episode they kind of do. It was like, okay you tried and like for instance uh uh genjiro the uh boss of gym leader right he we see him do an enormous physical feat and i'm just thinking to myself okay this guy is badass why doesn't he have a sympho gear and they don't touch it at all so maybe later on they'll explain why only uh I've got what their names were. Blue-haired girl, uh, why Subasa and Kanade were chosen to use the artifacts if there's something... I mean, they said, they said earlier that you can only have... Uh, like, they have to 
seeing a certain frequency in order to resonate with the artifacts. So I guess like what the vetting process is for that. Maybe Genjiro is just a horrible uh, singer, even in the shower. So, but maybe is just like a beast of a physical human specimen. It's it's, it's I guess it would just it's just that like that feat is too much of an impact to be simply written off as a quirk and i wanted answers and i didn't get them so i'm a little butthurt about that gotcha (laughs) yeah so see it's funny because we're on like totally opposite scales because now i want to push up my glasses and say um actually sam but it is go ahead go ahead ahead. correct me (laughs) oh well it's not correcting it's just like one of those things that like I was so tuned into it because usually when we watch episodes or, you know, when I do the three episode yeah. test, I'm, my mind is kind of distracted. You know, it's, again, we're only weebs on the weekends again. Uh-huh. But in the second episode, it explains why the school is going to be like, again, why the whole slice of life and school life is part of the tag is because the school is actually a testing site as well to ge- or to oh. gauge potential future wielders of the info um simple gear and but again an that's kind of mess school. that's really messed up is that this organization is basically yeah. using kids as test subjects again there is a lot of parallel i think to this with gundam age which we talked about in the previous episode is that you know it has like the co- colorful um designs of hair and like very eccentric um scientists and like the whole idea of throwing kids into the front lines of a battle because uh the other girl that survives or is the, basically the main the co-star to habiki is subasa and her uh, sinfo gear is like she does like break dancing uh in like a couple of scenes but like they do have like different attributes and fighting styles to their gears based on their music or their musicality so same thing as with why the school is being used and it's explained in the second episode is that oh yeah we are doing all this testing because there's people practicing music above us and we can gauge who's going to be like a chosen one essentially and then sacrifice them to the god of war and whatnot and then uh subasa again the co-star is like oh well the person i looked up most to like sacrifice their life for you and you're using their ability essentially so of course i'm not going to like you so there's that rivalry set up uh, at the very start with a sundere character kind of type oh yeah like that the the the, the character um with uh, the character interactions with subasa and hibiki it's done very very well because in the beginning of the show we see subasa as the timid one and kanade was the one that was pushing her right and without uh, that pushing force, Subasa feels guilty for not being able to support Kanade how she wants to. So we see her throw herself into training, you know, numbers in terms of killing these noise as much she, as she can, as efficiently as she can. Like she prides herself on that. And then to see somebody like Hibiki, a, a greenhorn person, basically don on the same. Uh, armor is essentially a slap to Kanade's memory in Tsubasa's uh, perspective. So the resentment and the pushback that she gives her, it's very much ado and or at least very understandable. So I really do appreciate how they do that. Um I I guess like one thing I do question though is like why they mainly just focus on women and they ne- they didn't really explain why that i guess they don't necessarily have to but it i, I don't know it, it it just for me it seems as though like if they wanted to like like you said try to find new test subjects like they would go to again you know they would they would have a school that's focused for singing but you would try to widen you know the amount of candidates that you can get you would try to get like both men and women but they didn't really explain like why we haven't seen any male candidates but i, I guess because it's a uh female centric uh show they don't really have to but it's just like one of those questions that i have 
that I'm probably never going to get an answer to. Yeah, we did cover which anime did we? Now you see, I'm blanking because I'm an old man. But there was another <laughs> mecha anime that we covered. Something. Oh, that similar. was a uh, that that was Infinite Stratos, where oh, it Infinite was Infinite Stratos. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, again, talking about whenever they go into mech centric stories or sci fi stories mm-hmm. that. You know, it's always a hard lean between how sci-fi do we make this when it's not enjoyable, when it gets into the techno babble kind of prospect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a previous guest, Raza, who was more of a music um, expert that could probably talk about, you know, the different singing styles of, you know, uh, male singer versus female singer. So they're probably shying away from that and kind of just laying over the blanket of, oh, this is a demographic for a certain uh, reader group or again like it oh, feels yeah. very much in the vein of like it shouldn't be an original series this feels like this should be a light novel series that yes. people have enjoyed for for years but i think along the lines of why i would say if we're giving it a verdict of resurrect or rebury i'm firmly in the resurrect category because i'm definitely going to watch the rest of the episodes <laughs> and the seasons um after this because i'm kind of in deep with what it's presented so far in these three episodes but uh i think the main point i would recommend that this is resurrected is because this is part of the magical girl genre that has been out of date for so long and given that it was it ended in 2019 it probably did enough to change or to modern modernize itself to say that maybe the first three episodes isn't actually good and i've said this a little bit before but i'm projecting that is going to get better because it lasted so long with the original concept idea so i'm going to say resurrect but are you definitely on the reburied side sam no i'm on the resurrect because there is a need for work like this uh, i did recognize that as i said before it's a female-centric show and you do have uh, male characters that are written competently, or at least like they're human, and they're not skeevy scumbags. I uh, definitely, I mean, th- there there is a need for space for a female action show, and this definitely, uh, you know, does its job well enough to do that. As I said before, it. I, I think like if it wasn't for Simple Gear, we wouldn't have animes like tax op destiny or vivid fluorite song so this is very much needed there are just some things that i am probably like again like my gripes they could probably come off as nitpicky like i said with the um lack of explanation for not using men i mean as you said earlier like they could have explained it saying you know girls at this age seem to hit this frequency better we don't know why could be developmental stuff like that like a simple line like that could have been fine but they didn't again that's just being nitpicky but what they do for the characters like with Subasa and Hibiki that's very well I was a little uncomfortable what they were doing with Hibiki and her best friend because it was like a pseudo lover friendship type thing but aside from that the story was done done well enough to where you can have a good action adventure show that a young female audience can enjoy without having to feel some sort of way about it like they'll have a show for themselves and as i said that's definitely needed so um as as you said with as long run as it's been i'm sure they probably had fixed a lot of their issues i just hope that uh Again, they don't have uh, the plot issues that uh, Dragon Ball or Naruto ran into, but it's popular for a reason. And as I said, it fills the need. Uh, oh, fills a need, uh, definitely. All right. Very surprising that we got two resurrects on this because um, this is a 10 year review on Sympho Gear. And again, just to mention that it's all 13 episodes as well as the other four seasons are available on Crunchyroll, and that was my pick, Sam. So I think for next episode, we're going to be talking about the winners of the Crunchyroll Awards. Again, they are happening on the 9th 
of February. So we'll be talking next episode about the winners and see if our predictions came true. We probably need a reward and punishment for the person that scored the lowest or didn't get it. Um, so we'll think about that. But also, I think next week is finally your pick, Sam, right? Uh, no, maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. All I know is that we are will be uh, rediscovering adolescence and the world of fishing with the anime series known as Suritama. Oh, yeah, that does sound like me. So, Suritama. So, yeah, I did, again, I don't mean to pick all of mine, but it's again, Jay's season. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll be coming back to Studio Satellite. I don't know if this is a Studio Satellite or or not a studio profile, but or a UG uh, voice actor profile. But so we'll see. We'll see it next week whenever we talk about it. But yeah, we'll come back to Studio Satellite probably in the near future as well. And uh, that's all that we have for you today, good listeners. Jay, what do you have to say? Yeah, so I've been skipping out on my duties as a teacher, so I have some vocabulary for you today. So the word today is symphony. Symphony comes from the Greek roots that literally mean sounding together, harmony of sound. It was borrowed into English as early as the 1200s. In classical music, a symphony is a type of elaborate, multi-purposed composition in classical music. 